We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and man he is today. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, and being a husband and girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike Trudell. Now, i got to revise my intro. Uh, As we said in the last episode, we're going to be doing general NBA episodes on Wednesdays during this offseason. And really excited about that. This is the first time we've really gone into that on this pod. And so, Mike, what do we have on the agenda today? What's happening, fellas? Well, when Pete says general NBA, I would like to add to that. We're the whole reason, right, for watching all of these other games, and that's something that the three of us like to do. Um, I am obsessed once that first, and you know, in normal times, that 4 p.m. Pacific game starts, and then watching through the rest of the night is because there's no better way to put into context what we're seeing when we watch the Lakers. In other words, if you have a good idea of what all of the other teams are doing, of what the best players are doing, of who's hot, of who's struggling, of how the coaching develop- the dynamics are playing out then that should color the way that you're able to view the Lakers. And I know that for a lot of Laker fans, they don't have time because people 
including Darius, by the way, have an actual day job where they're having to, you know, do other work and or work with uh, be at home with their kids. So this hopefully is a good way to synthesize all of that stuff. Darius, is that are, are you with me on that explanation? 100 percent. And I would just add too that it's just like, look, we read a bunch, too, on what's going on around the league, general league news. I read team specific sites, both to help me prepare for what the Lakers are going to do against a specific team, but also just to give me context as to what the locals feel about their own team as well, right? Which which helps, as you said, Mike, put the Lakers into the proper context for the rest of the league and really make us more informed as NBA fans, which I think help us as people who are really scrutinizing and looking closely at the Lakers specifically. For sure. And, and the other thing that I like to now this is this is especially to me interesting during the season because as I since I get to travel with the team, I'm able to listen to the opposing coaches before and after the game and obviously watch these guys in person. So it's kind of like the whole season is a constant way to build it. Now that we're in the offseason, though, what I was excited to do from you guys was was to go through the Western Conference, and we'll do the East probably next next week. We're going to start at 15, and the the records that I used, guys, were before the bubble. I just felt like the seeding games didn't really tell us a ton, uh, right? I mean, Portland, for example, had to win every game. The Lakers didn't have to win any games, really, and so I, I, I'm using where teams finished in March as just a baseline. And the way we're going to do it, I'm going to start at 15, as I said. Last year, that was Golden State, and you guys are going to give me better, worse, or same. And what that means is if you think the Warriors are going to be better than what they were last year, and spoiler alert, I think we've, we probably all can assume that, uh, then then you will say better. If you want to give a brief explanation, uh, please feel free. And then uh, then Darius, you do the same. We'll start with Pete, then go to Darius, and then I will weigh in. At the end of this, I have I have created four tiers. One is outside looking in. One is one move away. One is playoff benefit of the doubt. And one are the contenders. And we'll go through it and we'll discuss it. But the whole point is, like, what are we thinking these teams are going to look like this season? The only other caveat I'll add is, of course, things will change with draft and with trades and with free agency. And then guess what? We can revisit uh, as the months go on. So, guys, if you're ready, let's start with Golden State. We good? Let's do it. All right. Laker Film Room, Pete Zayas. Will Golden State (laughs) be better, worse, or the same next season? I feel pretty confident they'll be better. They kind of had their gap year, right? Like they just, they had this stretch of what, five straight NBA finals, which was right up there with the great runs of all time of making consecutive finals appearances. And the wear and tear of that, you tweeted with LeBron that LeBron's played, what, like 3.15 extra seasons due to the playoffs. And we know those are far more intense than regular season games. Golden State went through kind of the team equivalent of that. And Steph got hurt. Uh, Clay obviously had his injury in the 2018 finals and so just the or the 2019 finals and so just the confluence of of all of that they're going to be back I'm very curious to see to what degree they've got Andrew Wiggins now they've got the second pick does a a high draft pick fit into their win now type of mode does that determine their offseason moves but most certainly they'll be better than 15 wins all right and I am tracking these and then if we have any you know major disagreements we can spend more time on them later Darius I agree they will be better um, for for all of the reasons that that Pete said, I also just want want to add. I think that there's 
we talked about LeBron and his sort of um, revenge tour this past season, right? And, and so not only do I think that there's all of those tangible things that Pete mentioned, there's intangible things like um, desire and hunger and, and trying to get back and take what they probably feel is rightfully theirs and, and regain a position within the league that I think will drive them this year. Um, how far that takes them obviously remains to be seen, but I think that there's a lot of uh, trending up arrows for them. All right, stay tuned on Golden State for later. Let's move to Minnesota. And I should mention Golden State last year, 15 and 50 before things got shut down. Minnesota now was 19 and 45. Oh, okay, here. I'm going to say better also, and I'm not going to waste time uh, on adding to the reasons that you guys covered it for the Warriors. So Minnesota, Pete, let's start with you. Uh, Will they be better or worse next season? I think they're going to be about the same. That was the third option that you gave us up top. And I think that, uh, you know, they added D'Angelo Russell toward the end of last season. But I just defensively, they're one of the poorest defensive teams that I've seen in the NBA last that I saw in the NBA last season. And I don't see the personnel that changes that. I like Jarrett Culver. I like Josh Kogi. Uh, but their defensive personnel, all in all, they're going to have to make some significant moves on that end. So I, I see them as being one of the the lower seated uh, teams in the West. So I agree with Pete that I think that they'll be one of the lower seated teams in the West, but I do think that they'll be better than what they were last year. They have the number one overall draft pick this draft. Um that will either net them a quality young player who could contribute in some way, shape, or form, even if it's just depth um, as a non-starting player, um, or they could try to flip that in a yeah. trade and get more of a win-now player. I also think this is going to be the second season for their front office. Um, Gerson Rosas, I believe, is their new GM from last season. And so I think that there is... This idea that they're going to further establish what they want to do on both sides of the ball, um, be a little bit more familiar with with each other, and and with that, I do see an uptick from them. But the West is crowded, and it's going to be hard to get wins, so I don't necessarily see that equating to a move up in the standings, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I'm with you on this one, Darius. I I think this is kind of a both things are true situation where they're going to be better than last year. I mean, again, that 19 and 45 margin, that's a a really, really tough win percentage. So I think they'll win more games. They will be clearly better offensively. Uh, Russell and Towns barely got to play together. That is a a strong uh, pick and pop, pick and roll tandem. They are going to be active, uh, in, whether that's with trades, whether that's with moves. Uh, people know that I'm from Minnesota, so I, I know some people that are over there. And that number one trade asset or that number one pick is either a good trade asset <laughs> or something that they can that they can put into play and kind of continue to build. So I will have them at the end. Spoiler alert on the at that you know outside looking in tier, but I think they'll be clearly better than last season. Now the Phoenix Suns. This is an interesting case because they were 26 and 39. Going into the bubble, and as we all know, they then promptly went 8-0 and looked much more like a real basketball team. Now, part of that was getting some players back healthy. Uh, part of that was just they they found a uh, they found some um, some actual je ne sais quoi on the floor that was not in existence before that. Uh, but nonetheless, Pete, uh, we we have to kind of I think we have to be a little careful at just viewing that 8-0 as they're going to carry that immediately and directly into next season. So, where do you have them? Better, worse, or same? 
I have them better because I do put some stock in that eight. No, they were also very good to start the season last year. They were they were pretty good on the in that seven eight nine type seed for a decent portion of the first couple months. Then they had a brutal middle of the season, and they had I think a nine or ten game losing streak. And then again, they they went eight and zero in those seeding games, which you contextualized well. I also think that there's value. I had a team. I coached a team where we were two and ten on the season, but the second half of the year. From it was going from like 16, 20 point losses the first half to like five, eight, seven point games against teams that were a lot better than us. And I remember how that carried forward into our off season. There was a certain degree of optimism and like, yo, when we show up for our off season workouts, we've got something that we're building toward. And we ended up le- winning league the next season. I don't think Phoenix is going to win league, but I do think the same principle and premise applies in that they felt they've got good young talent, Kelly Oubre, uh, Devin Booker obviously has really stepped into that that star role. If well, I'm curious to see if they bring Aaron Baines back because I think he's a big part of their ability to go five out. A lot of their principles, I was really impressed by their offense on how well they uh, they ran their five out sets and their their bigs passing. Uh, DeAndre Ayton isn't quite that five out type of guy. He's someone where if he can add a three ball because he's got some mid range capability, it may be a tough ask to ask him to do that over the course of one off season. But they're they're very precise. They're working towards something. I think they've got a lot of belief in each other. Monty Williams has done a fantastic job. So there's somebody, their team that I'm fairly bullish on competing for an eighth seed next year. Darius, any Suns thoughts? I do think that they're going to be better as well. Um, I like Mikel Bridges. I like DeAndre Ayton. I thought he made some strides last year, particularly as a defensive player. He's a really good offensive player already as a big man, really from 15 feet and down. But as he improves defensively, and starts to get it, I think that they're going to just be a better team. I also have them as being better because I think that they're um, potentially a team that could be like one move away, but not from like a championship, but from like solidifying themselves deeper into like that six through eight range. You you know, potentially with an upgrade in the backcourt to slot next to... Devin Booker, who I think is really like real, real star potential from, well, from him. So I think that there's potential there maybe for them to maybe get off of like a Kelly Oubre even, or maybe even a sign and trade with a player like Baines, or maybe even include a Ricky Rubio in, in a deal if you can upgrade at point guard for a more established two-way point guard like Rubio is a great passer and a and a strong defender but if you can get someone who's maybe even like a better outside shooter but still brings that point guard acumen with some defense they could really take a step forward so I'm intrigued by what they can be next season and like Pete I do put some value on what they did during those seeding games where I feel like they took that mentality as these are our playoffs and really went after it hard. And if there's any carryover in that mindset, I think it will be very uh, valuable to them next season. I've got the Suns as better, too. Uh, I think the, the simplest reason is that Booker uh, is an absolute stud. He's 23. He's going to keep getting better. I thought his defense was better uh, in the bubble. There are very few players that can create their own shot and hit it efficiently um, at a higher rate than Devin Booker. And then they've got some nice two-way players around him, and, and I think that will include Aiden as we move forward. You mentioned Bridges on the wing. 
Cam Johnson as a knockdown shooter at 6'7", 6'8". Yeah. So, uh, you know, Rubio, I think, is serviceable, certainly for a regular season. That could be a spot that eventually um, they upgrade. And if they could, if they brought in somebody else to join Booker in the backcourt, then all of a sudden you've got something that's really interesting. So, yeah, I think we're all in agreement there on Phoenix. And we'll talk about where we have them uh, in terms of where they fit in with the rest of the conference later. For now, let's, uh, let's start cycling through some of these middle teams and go to San Antonio. First time they missed the playoffs in forever, right? Literally uh, back to 97. And they were 27-36 and 36 before the bubble. Pete, what do you think about the Spurs? I think they're slightly worse. Uh, and that's more of a matter of other teams like Phoenix. Like we'll get to, you know, Minnesota, like you said, even though I think they'll be around the same seed, I don't think, I do think they'll win more games. Those wins are going to have to come from somewhere. And with San Antonio, I'm just not sure where the improvement comes from internally. I don't think they have much in the way of young players that are, you know, they've got a couple, they got Lonnie Walker and Derek White is a nice, nice player. But just from, in terms of high end young talent, I think other teams in the Western Conference in this lower half, at least based on last season's standings, have more room for internal improvement than the Spurs do. Uh, so I, I just think that they are going to continue their, they haven't had a precipitous fall, right? It's been this kind of gradual decline, and I think that's going to continue. I'd say that they're going to be about the same, and I would just credit that to Greg Popovich, really. I think that he's that he remains one of the best coaches in the league, and as long as he's there, I think that they've got um, a floor that is at a certain level just because he will coach them up. They will play hard. Yeah. Um, they'll play discipline, and they will win some of those games that they're not supposed to win. And they're not going to lose a lot of the games that they're that they're not supposed to lose, right? And I so I think that that keeps them up at a certain level that is um, around where they were last year in terms of seeding, at least. What was interesting for me about the Spurs is that they they actually looked better for portions of the bubble once they just were playing Jakob Pertlemore and Lamarcus wasn't playing. And I think yeah. they continue to go away from LaMarcus. And, you know, DeRozan was basically playing power forward. So that was yeah. unique. We'll see how they use them. And then they had just athleticism and youth in the backcourt. And that worked uh, for, like, so to me, I'm, I'm going to say the same because I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. But I don't think they're going to be worse than that record, which was, you know, several games under 500. They were, let's see, eight games under 500 when the season stopped. And I, I too, give Popovich some credit there. But it's more it's more just like... Uh, their new identity of playing hard, getting some of these young guys to improve, they to me will be a little bit like Memphis was this season, where teams aren't necessarily going to play their hardest against them. And so on, on, those are some of the nights when they end up winning anyway. But that one, to me, like same and, uh, same and worse is, is very close. And I could, you know, I, I, so I'm almost splitting the difference between the two of you there. All right. Mike, if I could just jump into, I would just to jump on the Popovich stuff. I do think that he is, he is both rigid and flexible. And so I think that he will adjust to the personnel that's on his roster. And so, you, you know, there was that like beautiful game spurs that played against the heat in those finals runs right with Ginobili and 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 all of those European players that shot a lot of threes and then there's been like the 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 DeRozan Aldridge Spurs that have been like long to mid-range heavy teams and and so I think as this team does get younger you're likely to see Pop adjust again and maybe play faster and and try to leverage the the skill sets that's that's on his roster which is one of the reasons why I think that they will be around the same this year. 
You know, one thing I love about talking to you guys is that we could probably do a, a podcast on each of these teams individually. Absolutely. I knew yeah. I knew we were going to be too long, and of course we have so far. So I will challenge all of us publicly, as opposed to doing like the Zoom chat thing, like, hey guys, let's you know, let's pick it up, Mike. Pete. Yeah. So let's let's move forward to Sacramento, uh, Pete, and let's uh, let's use the word that I used last week, and I said concise, and then I didn't do it. Um, so I am culprit number one. But alas, stop talking, Mike. Sacramento. Sacramento, I think, is going to be around the same. They had a leadership change. And uh, from a cap perspective, I don't think they've got a great deal of flexibility. I think they're a team that's in transition in terms of philosophically, what do they want to do? They've got a couple of guys role-wise, you know, Buddy Heald, for example, what's going to happen with him? He's going to continue to come off of the bench. So I think they're around the same because they've got young guys who will improve, but that leadership and philosophical change will there will be a transition that usually those are difficult and uh, Darius I should mention Sacramento 28 and 36 uh, was their record before the bubble last year yeah I probably have them being around the same as well um De'Aaron Fox I think his development arc a lot of this is going to depend on him right and the injury concerns that Sacramento's dealt with both with Fox and with Marvin Bagley and if they stay healthy, I could actually see them getting better. But some of that feels like they're snake bit some. And with the leadership change stuff, that was front office stuff and not head coaching stuff. Luke Walton is there. I like Luke just fine or maybe even better than fine when he was with, with the Lakers. But he's run into some of the same, shall I say, player clash stuff that was happening a little bit behind the scenes, some in L.A., but with guys like... Buddy healed now in Sacramento. So if that doesn't get clean, well, well cleaned up, I could actually see things going sideways for them in in a way that doesn't necessarily derail their season, but doesn't allow them to take a step forward. So I see them as probably the same, or maybe even a little worse. Yeah, we're in agreement again. I have them. I have them technically as the same, but that's because you know their their record and their performance really wasn't good last year. And I don't think it will be again. You know, they they signed some vets uh, that really didn't give them much. Whether that's Harrison Barnes, whether it was Ariza before they made the trade um, that uh, that brought in uh, Kent Bazemore over from Portland. Mm-hmm. They didn't get a lot out of Corey Joseph, right? Uh, Bielitsa I actually kind of like. I thought he was pretty good, uh, but it's it's really it's just not enough, right? Especially in the Western Conference. And where is that help coming in this year? Uh, they don't have a top pick. I mean, they'll have you know they're of course in the back end of the lottery, but. Yeah, I think that's that's still going to be a project there uh, for new management, and we'll see how that all sorts out. But we, as for right now, we all have the same on the Kings. Now, New Orleans, this this one's a little bit more interesting because this there are a few teams, and New Orleans is among them. They were 28 and 36 last year, but they have a lot of young talent, and then they have some veterans who are good as well. And so I, I would put Oklahoma City in this class, like, what do they choose to do from a management standpoint? Do they choose to try and win as many games this year as they can? Uh, do they recognize that they have future picks moving forward? Do they build around Ingram and Zion? They're, they're, this is a, a, an open one, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if we'll have these same opinions on them as well. So let's start with Pete on the Pelicans. They're the team that I watched the second most in the NBA, wanting to see how all our old young guys played, and they were enormously frustrating to watch. They had this 12-game losing streak in the—they they should have been better than they were, and a big— 
portion of that was on the defensive end. I think that who they hire as a head coach is going to be enormously important from an accountability standpoint on the defensive end. I think one of the issues, they've got three guys who were either the first or second pick in the draft. And I think those types of players need somebody who can hold them accountable on the defensive end. And that like, yeah, you're important to us, our present and our future. We also need you to make this rotation. And this is not a negotiable. Um it, they're a team where, you know, they've got some some roster, you know, some rumors about guys going out and, and that will impact their their ceiling. Obviously, they've got a, a great deal of talent. I think they will be better, but they have more bandwidth than I think anybody else in this lower half of the conference from I could see them anywhere from four, the four seed, if everything works out to being out of the playoffs again as a, as a ninth, tenth type of seed. I do think they'll make it in the mix, but I think the the culture of defense and how much they can address that I think will have a, a great impact on how far they go. What do you think, Darius? I have no clue. Honestly. <laughs> no, seriously. Because, look, do they trade Drew Holiday? Do they trade J.J. Redick? Does Zion Williamson stay healthy? Do, what? Who is their head coach? Like Pete said, I think their upward mobility is probably the highest amongst this batch of teams that we're discussing. There's just so many unknowns right now with them that um, it would be pure, even more beyond spec speculation than what we've done to this point, be, because there are trigger decisions, I feel like, that need to be made with this team that are just not there yet. I love the talent as well. Uh, part of that is, of course, getting to know the the young Laker kids that we watch so closely. Ingram, most improved player of the year last year. Lonzo, I thought, was actually pretty good in the regular season. And then he had a really tough bubble. Um, I think that will change some. Their future assets are excellent. But as Darius referred to, we I think the biggest question mark is what the new coach and how he and David Griffin aligned to say, all right, here's what we want to try to accomplish this year. Here's what our long-term prospects are. And since I, I went with same uh, in terms of record because of all of those, all of those unknowns, but if they if they look at that roster together and say, you know what, let's let's try to win. Okay, we don't necessarily have to be. We're not setting a goal that we have to be um, the five seed in the West, but let's start establishing a winning culture and not just say, oh, let's trade Drew Holiday, let's trade, let's let's uh, let's make all of these moves and only think about the future. I don't I don't really see that happening. So um, I think that they'll be competitive and they'll be they'll be better from a record standpoint. But I officially went with same because of the unknowns with that roster. So keep an eye. I know that the three of us will be very intrigued um, to see everything that's happening in New Orleans. And by the way, they the degree to which they're good in the future also, of course, impacts. Uh, there's some feeling of impact on the Lakers, given where, given the picks that are going out. Uh, even that, with that said, a lot more of that depends on where the Lakers are finishing in the standings in terms of where they're going to deliver those picks down the line. But that's a ways away. All right, let's go to break. And when we come back, we'll start talking about the top half of the Western Conference. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. 
Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. All right, guys, keeping it moving. So the Portland Trailblazers, another interesting and intriguing team from last year. 29 and 37 was their record before we got they got to the bubble, and we know what happened at that point, right? They caught Memphis, or at least were close enough to have the play-in game, um, and they won. And, of course, then the Lakers took care of them in five games. Now, injuries played a big part in their season. It was uh, specifically with Nurkic and Collins, their front court being out for most of it. They had almost nobody on the wings. That was their main problem against the Lakers. It was their main problem in the regular season. It's something that you think they would find a way to address in the offseason. But since they don't have it yet, Pete, I'm curious. Where do you think the Blazers sit for next year? Better, same, or worse? I have them better because I think having Nurkic for a full season uh, or close to it will be a a boon for them. I like Zach Collins as well, who missed some time. And uh, so I think between that and there is such a a deficiency on the wing that you got to think they use an MLE signing or something that addresses that, that takes it from being such a glaring deficiency to even if it's they're just below average on the wing, that would be a huge improvement from where they were last season. So between their injury concerns, part of it though, like the, the part I argue against is Dame had to really go nuclear just to get them into the playoffs. And I know we're going pre-bubble, but Dame was always going to get them there. That's why I always thought Portland was going to make the playoffs. But they're they're ceiling they're going to be better as a function of health and I think that signing but I don't think they're going to be that much better because I don't think they can do much that really takes them to a different tier. So I agree that they'll be better. I'm putting my faith in Damian Lillard here, who is one of the best players in the entire league and one of the best leaders in the league. From an injury standpoint, I agree with Pete. Remember, uh, they did make that Ariza trade. Ariza was super helpful to them and then didn't go to the bubble, which then necessitated Carmelo Anthony take, taking on a bigger role. And so I, I do think that they'll find a way to, even if it's just through patchwork ways, to, um, to add another wing. And so I have them as better too. And I like Terry Stotts. All right, so I go, I go better uh, for Portland. And this is really just more of a, of a comment on how their record was so poor last year. And I think that they're, they're clearly a better team than that, right, which we saw in the bubble. But, and, and as we get past these individual team breakdowns and we talk about sort of tiers, their fatal flaw to me is the same one that I've seen in so many teams over the years. You can't have your two best players be one-way guys. You just can't do it. And so it, for them, it's two smaller guards. And, and I, Damian Lillard, I love, I think we all do, um, top 10 all-around players still, and that's all-around while uh, uh, acknowledging the fact that he just doesn't give you much on defense. 
And what did LeBron and Anthony Davis, what did we what do we see throughout that playoff run? They're giving you big time effort on both ends. I, I find the same flaw with Denver to an extent. Jokic and Murray, um, as amazing as they are offensively, they're not really impacting much on the other end. This is why that many of us gave the Clippers a lot of credit for thinking that Kawhi and Paul George could impact the thing on both ends, right? Uh, so same thing with Miami with Butler and Bam. Uh, th- like this, this to me is such a classic NBA trope that Portland has just never been able to get around while they have McCollum paired with Dame. Now, if McCollum were, were if McCollum were traded and they got a, a two way wing somehow, then I'd be more interested. But I, I just think that they have a ceiling. They're going to be good. They're going to be tough to beat, especially in the regular season. But eventually, um, that thing always has to come pay the piper. So. That's Portland. Memphis, let's move on here. Now, Memphis, 32-33 and 33 when the season stopped. And um, I thought, what really impressive, uh, they, they reminded me of the Kings the year before. Sort of the team that overachieved. And I, this, I, I say this with all love to them because I, I, I'm uh, particularly fond of Zach Kleiman, who is their executive that runs the team now. But I don't know if they necessarily got everybody's best effort every night. Last year in the NBA, and I think that started to change in the seeding games, and you saw that they started to have some problems with it. I think that carries over into next season. Uh, Pete, what do you make of the Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah, that, I'm right there with you in that they're the type of team that play, when teams go in there, at the beginning of the season at least, it was like a not a night off, but it was a, hey, this is not, we're not playing the Lakers, we're not playing the Clippers, the Bucks. Hey, by the way, and, Pete, I, le- I, learned how to, I learned about that because I started my career working for the Timberwolves. And so the the 0607 and the 0708 seasons I I directly then contrasted that by going to the Lakers in 0, in 0809 and it's a wild difference just trust me like when teams come into your building uh-huh. and you're and it's the purple and gold it's like I right, let's let's go and I don't care how good or bad the Lakers are they always get that team's best effort Timberwolves not necessarily the same. So I sure. so just wanted to underscore no, and, that point. And that's the thing. And this is something, this is a theme that we talked about on the LFR pod a lot is that focus in, in basketball is such a cerebral sport and you're making so many very quick decisions that really the difference between your weight being on its back foot versus being centered or leaning forward, that's the difference between a made corner three or not. Like if you close out in time to that shooter. And so it's all of these micro decisions and, and being focused and ready that, that being focused, I think is what determines whether or not how a game goes much more than I think fans realize. So that said, people are going to take Memphis seriously. There's also a great degree of, you know, there are a bunch of young guys. I love Brandon Clark. Jaws, phenomenal. Jaron Jackson's a, a, a great young prospect. There's there's so much to like about them where there's a great deal of passing on that team, especially amongst their bigs, that I do think they're going to get better, but I do think that there is some risk for some sophomore slump type of issues. I think Jaws a guy who, especially at his size, needs to become a real knockdown shooter. And if not, we saw in, in the bubble, we in some of the matchup games, even against the New Orleans Pelicans, in games where Memphis had to win, they couldn't win them because you start to see, you know, little bits of those playoff adjustments. And so many of their guys have, of their young guys have kind of outside shooting concerns. That said, they're tremendously fun on the break. Uh, There's a great deal of passing, as I said. So I think they're going to be a little bit better, but not as much as a team that's so built around so many young players would normally enjoy because of what you were saying about teams are going to take them seriously from jump next season. Darius? I would say they're either going to be the same or just 
a slight bit better. And I'll sum it up very succinctly just by saying that progress is not always linear and be improving in small ways, but take steps back in small ways as well as teams start to adjust to you and your approach and what you want to do. And and so long term, I really like them. The small step from this year to next year, I'm not necessarily expecting that big leap where they sort of surprise again and take another step, step forward. That's Oftentimes, that's not how things work in the NBA. Are you going same or better than? Let's go same, which would be a really good team, a really good young team. This, I'm glad but, you said this is our first uh, complete disagreement uh, where I have them as worse. Pete, you had slightly better, and Darius, you had same. Um, I, I, I don't feel any different about the actual roster composition or the team than you guys do do, uh, do it all. Um, I pretty much co-sign all of that. I just think the bigger context is they were only one game below 500. The West is going to be even more brutal next year. And I don't think they're going to get quite that same benefit of the, of the doubt, or that's not the right way to put it. But I, I just think teams are going to be a little bit more prepared um, going against Memphis, given how well that they played overall this year. So I think that ends up hitting that they'll develop for sure. But I think that ends up hitting them in the win loss column a little bit. And so I see them taking a slight step back. So that'll again, that'll be I'll, I'll be curious to see where, where we have them ranked in terms of playoff chances next year. But moving on to OKC. Now, uh, wow, how great was Chris Paul in the regular season for them last year? 40 and 24. To me, the absolute surprise of the NBA. Um, I, I did that was the one team I had not making the playoffs. I thought they might not even try to make the playoffs, right? And they would sell some of their parts last year, whether it was Gallo, whether it was Steven Adams, whether it was Chris Paul. But CP3, man, he, he just really got those guys cooking. And, uh, and then they pushed Houston. So uh, shout out to what they did last year. Uh, Pete, what do you think about the Thunder for this year? I think they're going to be a good deal worse, and that only speaks to what a best-case scenario last season was. They accrued a bunch of assets in trading Paul George. They got uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who I really like, uh, and they made the playoffs. So it was kind of this rebuilding season where, hey, we're not bad, and actually fans really like our team and go to our games. And But I do think that ultimately they're in rebuilding mode, and some of those veterans are more unlikely to be back than on other teams. So as a result of that, I have them quite a bit, quite a bit worse. There's. I see them as being worse. Everything that you guys said on top of that, they still don't have a head coach, I don't think. No. Um, Billy Donovan left. I liked what he did with them, and I thought he had good um, chemistry with Chris Paul. They were very much on the same page in terms of how to drive that team forward, and I thought he did a really good job of working with their three, with their three guards. But this is another team where... There's uncertainty, but to me, there's certainty within the uncertainty in that we don't know where a lot of things are going at this point with them, but I think we can all make our best guess assumption that they are very likely to really pivot harder this year towards a rebuild and try to sell high, I think, on some of their players. We'll see if that's the direction the Sam Presti goes, but he's been around the block enough times as a small market successful general manager to know what it takes to build a long-term winner and i think he pivots all right i have them as worse also and i think i, I too agree i think that's kind of the easiest one um to gauge now their their young players are interesting to me dort emerged as a defensive star uh, but we'll see about the offense right there are there other players in okc have sort of done that in the past um and shay Gil- shay gilders alexander i thought really good in the regular season i he struggled in the postseason yeah 
And so I'm curious to see how he bounces back. He's still really young. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I, it, it tempers me a little bit. It's not like some of these other teams that have that, that really clear young star, like Ja, for example, to build around. I don't think Shea is in the same class as Ja, and that in its own right is an issue, right, for a franchise to not have that for sure guy that you know you can build around. So can Shea, can he be that guy? Can you guys give, just give me 10 seconds on that real quick? I'm just curious. Like, do you think Shea is, is a can't miss uh, build around franchise guy like that? Like I don't, but he was a classic first time in the playoffs type of guy where guys go either one of two ways where I don't want the ball in a game seven or they try way too hard to to make a five point play on every play. And Shea is more in that latter category where I think he it is going to click for him in the playoffs. I think he's got the, the tools and skill set. It's just experience and mentality. But from a can't miss, do I build my franchise around this guy? I don't see him in that respect. I mean, I think he could be the second or third best player on a on like a conference mm-hmm. finalist type team. And so do you build around that guy? Sure, because I think you want to keep him long term. Is he that top tier guy, a Zion, a jaw or guys in in that mold? No, but you don't have to be that guy in order to win a championship and be like a major player. Right. The thing I will say about him is that at least during the playoffs, Paul and Schroeder, I think, took on larger roles as veteran players, and I think that that sort of pushed Shea into positions where he had to be a bit more, like, trying to find his way, where things weren't as easy for him. Like, hey, you're our top guy. Go out there and do it every single night when will win or lose. And so I think during the regular season, that helped him. But during the playoffs, it was tougher for him. And I attribute some of his struggles that you talk, talked about, Mike, to that. All right, let's look at Houston. And man, the, the, the Lakers just saw them, of course, in the second round and handled them overall relatively easily um, with a five-round or a five-game series win. They were 40-24, and 24, same record as the Thunder before the break. Uh, three games in the loss column behind or better than Dallas. And... This is a. This seems to be a ship that's heading in one direction. I, I wonder if we all see it the same way, <laughs> Pete. Uh, Pete, what do you think about Houston? I think they're a good deal worse, but I am fascinated to see how it goes, and it may be train wreck fascination. We'll we'll see. But not only do they have kind of a regime change from top to bottom with their coach and their GM, but you're talking style of play changes. There's nobody that they can bring in that really, I, I think, I mean, we'll see, but playing, are they going to continue to play microball? If not, then they've got a lot of roster work to do. They don't have bigs. They don't have bigger players that are that can play a more conventional style of play. So if they're going to bring somebody in to play their same style of play as they were before, then there's a question of why is Maury and D'Antoni gone, right? If you're going to play that way, those are the guys to do it. But if not, they've got a ton of work to do to make it a more conventional team. And I just don't see them covering all that ground in this offseason. So I have them a good deal worse. Mike, I want to hear from you because I think you see it the same as Pete. So, so I want to, I want to build towards my answer here. So, please. Yeah, I, I do see it the same as Pete. I see them as clearly being worse. Uh, I, I, I think about Westbrook and Harden. You know, making a combined eighty million dollars for the next three seasons, <laughs> guaranteed. And them just, you know, Eric Gordon is signed to a big long-term deal where he's getting paid. Uh, his here, here's Eric Gordon's next four years: sixteen, eighteen. 20 and 21 million 
And uh, that last one is not fully guaranteed, though. And then, you know, Covington's on a reasonable salary, but they still don't have a big uh, Daryl Morey, the architect, and say you can criticize whatever you want, but he got that team to win every year. And he, so him being gone is a big deal to me. I, I, yeah, I, I just don't see how you go anywhere but worse. So, Darius, uh, if you can, I will respect the argument very much. I have them as being the same. Hmm. So I don't see them as being better, but I have them as being the same. Look, man, like... Westbrook's decline in the bubble, I feel like, overshadows how good he was in the month and a half to almost two two months before the shutdown. James Harden is still an offense un, unto himself. I remember when Mike D'Antoni left the Knicks and he was replaced by Mike Woodson. And Mike Woodson basically did a lot of the same stuff in terms of philosophy and style of play that D'Antoni was doing. He played like a four, like he played a four out system. He did a lot of high screen and roll. Tyson Chandler's still there. Um, I do think that Houston will target like a big that's in that three to five million dollar range, like like a Capella Light type of player to pair with Westbrook and run spread pick and roll. I think that a lot of the ingredients there in terms of a blueprint of a really successful regular season team is right there. And, and, and so whether or not that's going to succeed in the playoffs, I, I, I think I'm with you guys there in terms of being very doubtful about what that looks like. But if we're talking about what they look like next year, could they be another four or a five seed? Like, sure, they're going to be crazy to play against. And preparing for them on a random Tuesday night in February or March, that's much different than scheming them for an entire playoff series. And, and so... I just think that, look, when you've got a James Harden type guy and is there potential for decline with him and and with Russ? Sure. There's also potential for them to be exactly what they've been for the last four to five five years, which is super impactful regular season players. And so that's my argument for them being a, a, about the same and not falling off to being like an eighth or a tenth seed or something like that. Westbrook being so good in that stretch right around February that you were talking about, though, was tied to that Capella trade in that effectively Westbrook is their five. And so if they're going to play like you're right that they could be the same type of team, but it are they going to play the same type of way? They don't have the same decision makers determining to play this very unique style of play. And with when Capella was around, you had these spacing concepts with two guys that don't space the floor, one at all with Capella, and then another with Westbrook. And so as a result of that, they were a lower seed in the West before they went on that run, before they made that trade. They got better because of that. So anybody that they sign that's a big has to be able to defend the rim and space the floor. And how many guys can you I, find? I disagree. You, why is, why is that? I disagree. I disagree because I don't think they bring in a big as a starter. I think that they're going to keep pushing forward with the style of play that they've been doing. I think any big man that they sign is mostly going to be a tandem player for Westbrook when Harden is off the floor. And that you run spread pick and roll the way that he did with like a Steven Adams. You space the floor with shooters around that. And then they just go, go, go that same exact style. I actually don't see them being some major like facelift or remade identity 
next year. I think the roster constraints that that they have have in place almost dictate that whoever takes this job is taking it under the guise that we got to do things very similarly the way that we've done done them before. I think any big that they sign is likely as a backup again and basically as a tandem player for Russ in in order to continue to optimize him when Harden is off the floor. Because I agree with what you're saying, Pete, about, hey, if you bring in a non-shooter, like, for the starting group, I think that that's bad. But if you bring in a non-shooter as a hard role man, as a bench player, then I think that that can be, that can lead to a more productive second unit for them and that they basically play the same exact style that they've been. So look, the Rockets were, I think, I think they were either 10 and 8 or 10 and 9 uh, after they acquired Covington in the regular season. OKC, a flawed OKC team, took him to seven. The Lakers waxed him in five. Uh, Westbrook, when he was really good, Harden was not good at all, right? That like Harden really dropped off when Westbrook rose. When Harden was really good at the beginning of the season, Westbrook wasn't able to do much. And th- to me, they're just not a good fit. They're not really a good fit on either side of the floor. Neither one of them is giving you much defensively. It puts a ton of stress on Covington and Tucker. So I just I get what you're saying, Darius, about like on a given night, that's hard to play against. But it's less hard to play against now in this in this NBA than it was two years ago, where a lot of these teams have that versatility. So I'm just I'm not a buyer um, in what the Rockets are doing, and I don't think they can be 16 games above 500 like they were last year. Um, so that's where like really the worst comes from. But that still to me is like is you know a probably lower seeded playoff team. I'm not going to sure, put sure. The, them making the playoffs out of it. I just I don't buy. I'm not buying the whole product. I'm glad that we could have this back and forth. This was, was great. I love it. That's our first, and this was fun. I was hoping we would have a few more of these. Although I, I think you, the three of us, and this is what I think is, you know, here. Let me just move on to the next one. Okay, I, I was like, we can again, we can spend a whole another twenty minutes just on the Rockets. Uh-huh. Dallas, another interesting team. Okay, so we all, uh, I think, the world that didn't watch the Mavericks as much in the regular season got to fall in love with Luca. Um, the same degree that those of us that did get to watch a ton of the Mavericks and uh, the Mavericks, of course, 40 and 27 up to the point of the bubble. And Pete, let's uh, let's go to you on this Dallas team. Better, worse or the same? I think they're going to be better. They were a historic offense this season, and there's no reason for that to change because it's built around Luka's ability to beat whatever pick-and-roll coverage that you're facing. So they're similar to Houston in that they can kind of spam the same type of play or close to the same play over and over again, and it's going to be really effective on the basis of a singular talent. And so unless Luka gets injured, I think that there's going to be continued growth. They were able to get that 40 and 27 record without a great deal of defensive talent. And so that's something that I will be looking for their free agent and trade moves. And there's no reason for that to change. If they can beef up their defense just to, even if they're just a below average or an average defensive team, that combined with the continuity of building around who they are, they're they're a team on the rise to me. Mr. Soriano? I agree with Pete. The only question mark I have about them is Porzingis' health and whether or not he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. I think Luca, as it, in a similar way that I commented about Harden, he's an offense unto himself, and he can generate a good shot pretty much any time down for either himself or a teammate. And that's just invaluable during the regular season. And so with relative health, I see them improving how far that pushes them up the standings remains to be seen because the West is, again, just a bloodbath. But I see them getting better. 
Yeah, um, so we're we're aligned again. What's been funny so far is that we've had so Golden State, Phoenix, Sacramento, Portland, OKC, Dallas. We have all had the ex- exact same, and then the in between teams: Minnesota, San Antonio, New Orleans, Memphis, Houston. Um, slight disagreements on some. Houston was the only one where we really uh, seemed like we had a bigger, a slightly bigger golf at least. And I for the Mavs for me, uh, the it's mostly about Luca. You know, this is a guy who as as a ceiling, like an ultimate ceiling. He's got a, sh- a chance at being like a top 10, top 15 all-time player. Like his, mm-hmm. There's nobody that has his production except for LeBron at his age. There's just nobody. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe Jordan would have if he hadn't gone to North Carolina for three years, right? Uh, like, same thing with Kareem. Uh, but, I mean, just completely ridiculous transcendent numbers. He can still get in better shape, I think, in a lot of ways. And they also do a pretty good job with roster construction there, I think, once they once they get their pieces in place. So I, I have Dallas moving up into the contender um, bracket as a, as a spoiler alert. And this next team, I do not. Uh, now, they are, this is the Utah Jazz. Utah, 41-23. And I'll just get mine out of the way quickly here. I think they're still a really good, solid team, but I also I think they have a limited ceiling, um, and that's a combination. Even though Mitchell took a step up, that's a that's a I don't know if he gives you as much for a that two way wing type player that I want um, in that spot. He kind of floats more to point guard, and then the Gobert question is out there as well, right? And how that's going to ultimately work out. So Utah, I have is worse in terms of record. I still think they'll be in the uh, absolutely in that solid playoff mix at the bottom of the conference, but I have them as worse than last year. Pete, so we're now in the portion of the conference where I view worse, same or better through the context of the playoffs rather than necessarily a regular season record. I thought they really missed Bogdanovich. He's a guy that I like quite a bit, and I, I think that in the playoffs, so I, I have them as the same without. You know, I think Conley is on the decline. There were some chemistry issues there that, you know, that seemed to creep up a couple of times during the season. But I think that if they have their full complement, which is not always guaranteed in the playoffs, I thought Bogdanovich was a guy that could have really helped them and may have even pushed them over the top against the Denver team. Remember, Denver was the darling that went to the Western Conference, right? Maybe Denver doesn't get out of the first round if Bogdanovich plays in that series. So I, I'd say the same and perhaps slightly a, a little bit better if they're able to keep stay healthy because I, I think very highly of Bogdanovich in a playoff setting. See, I have them as the same or slightly worse. There are two big questions to me with this team from a roster standpoint and then the chemistry side. I won't go into a bunch of speculation about this here, but they do have a Rudy Gobert decision. Um, he is up for a super max extension, a super max extension. And then Mike Conley is heading into the last year of his contract. And Utah has a history of trading guys early, right? They did it with Darren mm-hmm. Williams and they tried to reshape their team within the context of we're a small market organization. Free agents are not going to come to Utah and they have smart people who are running their organization. And so if the roster looks exactly the same, I could see them being the same. If the roster looks different, I see them taking a step back in order to try to be a long-term winner rather than a short-term one. 
Well said. Um, I and, and Pete, to go back to what you said about Bogdanovich, absolutely, that was the difference in the playoffs. Like they they had to have somebody who could who could score um, on the wing there, and they really missed him. So, I, but in the court, the the context of what I was comparing it to was that he was healthy all regular season. That's when they were forty one and twenty three, and so I think that's gotcha. the part that's the part that's a little harder to quantify. But so I, I I agree with you too. The way that you the way that you framed it uh, framed it out, and that Darius officially same there. Let's go same. Okay, uh, Denver. Denver, forty-three and twenty-two, um, finished just back of the Clippers for the two seed. Denver. I think they're slightly better. I think the incorporation of Michael Porter Jr. adds a dimension to their team. Uh, same with Bol Bol, who I think will be a rotation guy. They're a team where, as you mentioned earlier, with the kind of one-way play of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, I think there's a degree of athleticism that's important. Uh, very curious to see what happens with Jeremy Grant. I thought he was a very critical part of that rotation. Paul Millsap will also likely be a free agent. So what does their roster composition look like? If any of those guys move, how do they replace them? But I, I think they got a lot of great momentum going into, they have a, had a playoffs to be proud of. And I think they've got some young athletes on the horizon that add a dimension to the team that their best players in Murray and Jokic don't have. I have them as better as well. Um, which is saying something because mm-hmm. this team was third in the West um, and they were second in the West for a long time. So I see them again finishing probably as a top two or three seed in the conference. I also do not think the way the roster that ended the season is going to be the roster that is their next season roster. I think Denver is primed to try to make um, a roster improving move and getting a third sort quote-unquote star player that can um, flank Murray and Jokic probably as a two-way guard or a two-way wing that is going to elevate them not only during the regular season but to try to make them um, a more firm contender in the playoffs. That's just my two cents on that. If I can jump in, I think they're better during the regular season, but I don't think they get back to the conference finals. Yeah, so I... So to to touch on that last point, Pete, I'm gonna go back to my kind of two way wing thing, and it's I Murray and Jokic to me are going to be fantastic in the regular season. Murray Murray specifically, I think he learned even something a little more about himself. Not that he lacks for confidence, mm-hmm. but I think that he learned that against even even uh, you know some of the better NBA teams, like he can go nuclear, and so I think that portends well for them. They're two-way wings in theory. Porter could be one of them, but he's not really two-way yet, right? He's got the no. specs for it defensively, but he really struggles offensively. He's going to take a while to be an impact player on that end. And I think they're going to benefit from a lot from Will Barton being back. He was great for them in the regular season. People yeah. forget that last year. And I like Grant as, a, as an emerging two-way option. But it's just they're not two-way in the way that LeBron and AD or Kawhi and Paul George are, right? Like, that's that to me is still really good, deep, regular season team. I have them as better also, um, and, and so we, we're we in agreement on all of that. But I, I like, to Pete's last point, you know, I, I do think that there are teams that um, that can catch them in a seven-game series. But, yeah, we're, we're all together on that one as well. And, it, and, and weirdly keeping our every other, um, three all three agree on the same thing. Okay, that leaves two teams. They are the L.A. teams. Let's start with the Clippers, and let's go to Pete. I have them as about the same. Uh, I think they will approach the regular season probably significantly differently. I like Ty Lue quite a bit. I did some research on him when he was a candidate for the Lakers job last season, and I think that he does not quite get the credit as one of the better coaches in in the league as a result of being, you know, as coaching with LeBron. That said, I think there are 
a ton of different ways where that can go sideways. I expect there to be a great deal of roster turnover. <laughs> uh, and so the my answer to this could be different in a couple months once the dust settles on that. Um, you also have Kawhi and Paul George coming into the last season of their contract. And so I think they're a team where the leadership really has to get on the same page. And everybody, if they're going to be better, they will have to take a different approach toward the regular season. But I also think they learned a lot about themselves with how the season ended that could serve as a wake-up call for them. So I think they're going to be about the same in the regular season, but I do expect them in the conference finals next year against the Lakers. I would agree that I have them being the same. My little elevator pitch about them will be that I I also expect some roster changes for them, and I expect them to go from a team that is not as good as the sum of their parts to a team that is greater than the sum, sum of their parts just by and that's not necessarily like addition by subtraction i just think they're gonna they're gonna change up the chemistry some on that roster is 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 what i envision and for them to be likely um a more together version of the high-end two-way team that they were purported to be heading into this past season so that was the thing, though, is that they weren't nearly as good on defense as it seemed like they might be on paper. They had several players, Lou Williams, Reggie Jackson, Montrez Harrell, even Zubats has limitations on the perimeter. That's one thing I learned from watching and covering a team going all the way through the, the championship is that you have to be able to defend the perimeter. And they had so many guys that like, yeah, Kawhi's a great defender. Paul George is a great defender. And as a team, they were a great defender before. But when you look at the guys on their team, they were not. They did not have nearly the, def- the defensive talent that they were purported to have. And I think that's something they need to address specifically in free agency. They've got to be a better defensive team. I mean, they were so up to the point before the bubble, they were fifth in defensive rating. And yes. like, mm-hmm. so my whole thing on the Clippers. So first of all, roster chemistry, roster balance for the Lakers, such an easy and almost flawless model. Your two stars and the rest of the guys know that they're there to support those stars. They are. They know that they're there to play defense. They know they're not there to have high usage. Then the Clippers, you have the two stars, and then you have specifically Lou and Harrell, who do not know that and who think mm-hmm. that they should be able to play their screen role game. And guess what? Once you get into games you have to win in the postseason, you can't do both. You can't because mm-hmm. Kawhi and Paul George are still going to be on the floor for a lot of those times, and then you're not maximizing your efficiency on that end. And Lou in in uh, in Montrez are not giving them what they need as far as two way play on the other side. So to me, mm-hmm. what what leading into what I think is going to happen to the Clippers, I actually have them as better um, than. And part of that is because of how much they left on the table last year, how much mm-hmm. they could make their roster make more sense relatively easily, mm-hmm. and because there's nothing like getting completely smacked when you're down three one to at least should shoulda coulda like that should motivate them from game one of the regular season. Yeah. To come out with pride, right? and so they have something to prove. Yeah, it, and that to me translates to regular season wins. Now, it's a little bit like what Pete said about Denver. That doesn't guarantee their spot as they get into the postseason, and they have to kind of prove it on a different level there. But I, I just think those are all of that stuff that I just talked about. Ty Lue and to an extent the front office can take care of with a move or two, um, and with just a setting up of like, look, guys, here's what this team should be doing, and here's what you did last year. 
didn't work and and like for all of those reasons I would have them as uh, as a little better than they were last year. They can't have as many guys that you can target on the defensive end though. They they were very good obviously like you said fifth in defensive rating during the regular season, but in a playoff series man just way too many guys on that roster where it's going to be LeBron, hey, let's get you in a in especially in Tyloo likes to switch. Uh if they're going to do that, they can't have that many but guys like, there. But like, you know, Lou Williams switch. and Reggie Jackson, like those guys shouldn't be on the floor, right? They've got other guys just on their bench. Um, mm-hmm. that, and, and or that they could bring in for the minimum. And and again, something the Lakers did so well, Darius, throughout the season, like as we transitioned to the Lakers, they didn't have that guy that you were going to go target in a playoff series. You know, that was they, up, 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 unless they started big, right? And, and it was like the JaVale and, and Dwight and, and, and that to, to that extent. So yes and no, right? <laughs> I had to get one in. Um the Lakers, what I thought the Lakers did an excellent job of is not having more than one of those guys on the floor at, at any given time. There weren't like the Lou Harrell combo that are on the floor at the same, same time or a Lou Zubots combo where you put them both in a screen screen and roll and then how do you manage that, right? And so I thought the Lakers did a very good, good job of limiting the number of guys who could be... Um, potential weak weak links in the chain and the whole idea of defense on on a string requires not only that you hold up individually but that you hold up in help situations as well and um the clippers had enough of that to have a high defensive rating but they were also really good on 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 offense right so it's easier to like set your defense up after you've scored and all of this other stuff right? yeah they were third um, in offense uh, for yeah offensive rating yeah, so look, when I say the Clippers are going to be the same, they were the second team or they were the second seed in a Western Conference. They had a 3-1 lead in order to get to the Western Com- Conference Finals. They were an excellent team. I I know that we like to take I won't speak for anyone else. I know I like to take some shots at them when they're warranted. Um I don't consider myself a petty person at all. I call it like I see it. Um they were a really good team. They came, who came up woefully short in embarrassing fashion. I do think there's a lot of factors that will propel them forward, but I do think that it's not just going to have to be the head coach change. And I do like Ty Lu, just like Pete said. Um, he's a very good coach. He's younger than Doc Rivers as well. He also has championship experience. There's going to be a lot of re- relatability, I think, that he's going to be able to bring to the table with the guys on that team. Um, and so I expect a really strong Clippers team next season. I just do. All right, let's close out right here at home with the Los Angeles Lakers. And the Lakers were 49-14. and 14. Uh, I I thought if you bake in the whole Milwaukee Bucks thing, including them playing you know eight really bad teams a bunch of times, which was responsible for their net rating, which is ultimately why I think Giannis won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. Basically, I've gone on this rant before, so I'll save it for another time. <laughs> um, but like they beat... Literally, they beat the Cavs by 30 twice. They beat the Knicks by 25. And and all of the... Oh, well, if you look at the tiebreaker, right? It's because it's the net rating. Alas, my point is the Lakers were the best team in the regular season last year. Uh, they won yeah. 17 straight games in Western Conference Road Arenas. I, I, that's still my favorite side of the season. I don't know why it's not yeah. talked about enough. Uh, th- that is basically impossible uh, to do and speaks to their focus. So I think that they will be a better team, clearly. But for the sake of this exercise... 
Um, I, I, I had them as same in terms of like that win percentage slash record. Um, I will pick them to, w- to win again, barrings. Uh, we'll see what the offseason moves are. I will pick them uh, for the number one seed uh, in the West, but I don't know if they need to have a better win percentage than they did last year. So that's kind of one of those, you know, same slash better take your pick thing. Uh, but I guess technically I'll go same. Pete, what say you about the Lakers? I- I think they will be worse in the regular season. I think that's part of the attrition of winning a title and especially in this odd schedule, right? I I just don't think that the first two, three months of the regular season, I think our goals for that period of time will be different than they were. We were establishing something. And so LeBron calls the mini camp with the players only prior to training camp. And now we have something established where it wasn't a year ago. And so I think that the getting up to speed, we will get up to speed during the regular season more than we did last year and we will lose some games as a result of that. I think that development of guys like THT, uh, you know, some maybe Devontae Kaycox back, maybe not. You know, there's all sorts of places they can go to expand the rotation, get some what I call innings eaters in the game and develop guys. So maybe a THT can be a rotation guy come playoff time. That said, I think there are a lot of opportunities to for this to be a better team come playoff time. I think that if we have one reliable knockdown shooter uh, or add one to what we already have, I think that really just explodes our ceiling in a playoff setting. So I think that it's going to be similar to 2000 versus 2001 in that in 2000, the Lakers were 65 and 17, I believe. In 2001, I think we won 56 games. That's just off memory. Um, so we weren't as good in the regular season, but we were just, you know, white hot in the playoffs. And I think that we have the potential to construct a roster that really uh, makes this playoff run is even better than this playoff run. So worse in the regular season, better in the playoffs. Uh, so 67 in in uh, 2000, Pete, and then yeah, 56 and 26 the next year. So you were, you were right on it. Cool. Darius. Yeah, so I'm in line with what Pete was saying. I think that they can be a more individually talented roster next season. And um, I do envision a bit of regular season letdown from a team that just played a a literal year-long season and what it looks like going into the next season. Um, A team with belief in themselves in terms of what they can be and how good they can be during the playoffs as well. Um, So there's a lot of like, to me, psychological factors that come into play much more than like technical X's and O's schematic or even personnel stuff. It's more along the lines of what does their night to night motivation look like? Um, Does that dip because they have, they just won a championship. Does that potentially dip because maybe they have more individual talent that's on the roster. Right. And so there's a feeling that they can do a little bit less and still achieve at the same level at the end of the day. Um, So there's a lot of that that I question about what the team would be next season. Um, But like you, Mike, look, they're the world champions. They have LeBron. um, They currently have Anthony Davis. And when you have those two guys, you're in the driver's seat for how a lot of things are going to play out. And I'm going to continue to believe that until they show me that they're not those players anymore. It's just going to be my default with them. Really like the the multiple points that you guys made there. And it's the way that you have to look at this team, like a a lot of the stuff that we're just discussing here, the minutiae, all right, are are they going to have a few more regular season wins? What's the rotation going to look like early in the season? We're going to spend 
a lot of time breaking that down, but ultimately it's pretty simple, right? Like we all kind of agree what the roster makeup is. It's going to be a team built for the playoffs. They know they can play big. They know they can play small. Um, they know they've got the two-way guys. Like it's, it's so to me, that stuff is going to matter less than what the big picture thing is, is that the roster's in great place. They're going to add to it to make it better uh, and, and all of that. But what they do in the regular season against some of these other teams, some of that could also just depend on at what point do we get fans back in the building? Like yeah. that kind of thing could lift this Lakers team that just had to play in the bubble and now instead gets to go and get announced as the champions for the one time yeah. that they're in Detroit. Like, so th- I also think Anthony Davis could take a step and he could be a little bit more of the engine driver and that could keep them from some of that natural fatigue that you get in the following season. Whereas like you do not need LeBron to play at that same amazing defensive level early in the season that he did last season. So like, no. there's so many, I, I know that we could spend all day. I think that's the sixth time I've said this on, on this podcast. So um, you can, this is a full podcast. Yeah. Like what's the Lakers yes. going to look like next season. And when we do a season preview, we will have a yeah, full it, podcast. We'll just touch just, on that sort of week to week, but let, let's, before we uh, get out of here, this is where I want to, what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you guys my little tears here. And I am flexible um, and can, can, can be convinced to move teams in and out. All right. And this is based off what we just talked about now. I think we were more or less on the same page. We had slight disagreements on, on Utah, Houston, Memphis, New Orleans, San Antonio, Minnesota, and pretty much agreed on everybody else. But here's what to start. Okay. Here's the outside looking in teams that I have. Spurs, Kings, Wolves, Thunder. Uh, would you, do you think I'm, is one of those teams, do you think, could one of those teams be one piece away? Uh, from actually contending for the playoffs, mm, it depends on what happens in OKC. Like, how much do they move? If they don't move Chris Paul, they're a playoff team. But yeah, aside from that, I I don't disagree. Okay. Um. So, and Darius, I'll say the next tier, and that might help. You know, in terms of what teams, because I didn't let you guys look at this physically before. Um, one move away. So teams I had kind of just on the outside looking in, but could potentially make the playoffs: Pelicans, Grizzlies, Suns. Yes, and depending on what happens with the Pelicans' coaching search and whether or not that one move away is the move that they don't make, they could be in, right? And so when you talk one move move away, it doesn't need to be an actual addition. It could be the lack of a subtraction. I think two of those teams make the playoffs without without a move. Okay, now, so if two of those teams make the playoffs, Pete, that means that, that two of the eight I'm about to read— would not, and that's the difficulty here. So I here's what I said: playoffs benefit of the doubt. Jazer, uh, J- J- I was gonna say Jazers, Jazz, Blazers, and mm-hmm. Rockets. So let, let me reframe this for you guys and think about this. So in other words, I had I had the Jazz, Blazers, and Rockets a touch ahead of the Suns, Grizzlies, and Pelicans. Do you think that's fair? Would you mix one team or the other? I think that's fair. Me as well. Okay, so then Pete, uh, now here's what we, I need to know where the other two teams are coming out, because here are my five contenders. Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavericks, Warriors. Oh boy, yeah, maybe maybe only one of those teams makes it, huh? I forgot about the Warriors, they're the team that, that we're going to have to talk about a lot a lot more. So, And I want to hear from both of you, let's start there, like, is that, do, do we immediately put the Warriors, without knowing, right, what they're going to do with the trade, the number two pick, like that's going to, which is a huge thing, right, because if they bring in like another vet, Versus how how much could that rookie play? But should Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and Wiggins, and whatever else, Pascal, like, should they get that benefit of the doubt past the Rockets, Blazers, Jazz type teams into that tier that I have with Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and Matt? Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. 
like no question. Yes, they have they have Steph Curry. They have Steph Curry, and they have Clay Thompson. And I don't give a damn about Clay Thompson's ACL injury that is now like eighteen months old, basically. Right? He's healthy. Like, he's healthy. I view him as healthy. He's he is absolutely healthy. With Draymond Green, with with Steph, with Clay, with Steve Kerr, like they're going to be they're going to be above those other teams that that you mentioned. Pete, and that do you want to see it first, or are you, uh, you you okay with that? No, I think, so first of all, I think the Lakers are in a tier by themselves. I don't think the Clippers or Warriors are in the tier. I think I, I would go tier one, Lakers, tier two, Clippers, Warriors, tier three, Nuggets, and you start getting into, like, I, I don't think the Nuggets are in that in that same tier. I can agree with that. I just, I had them as contenders, so I didn't, you know, so, but yeah, if you want to sure, take, for sure. if you want to take the Lakers yeah, out so, of that, I support you. So, so Draymond is getting older, and we've seen signs of physical decline. His shooting has been problematic. Clay Thompson is coming off of a big time injury. Steph Curry is a a, a bang dead superstar, right? So that that goes a long way. I just don't think they like they don't have Sean. They don't have the the depth. They don't have a Livingston. They don't have Iguodala. They don't have components of that team that were really important for making their style of play work. And it's replaced by. Andrew Wiggins, Eric Pascal, guys who were younger, who do not have high-level playoff experience that I think that will be extraordinarily helpful when it gets to that point of, of the playoffs. So to me, they're in that tier below the Lakers. And I, I think that we are transferring a lot of what we thought about the Warriors in 2015 and 16 to 2020. They lost Kevin Durant, man. That's a big time loss. And that's something that can these guys on a lot of them on the wrong side of 30 at this point, having so much mileage on their legs, can they get to that championship contender? Like they're, they're close. I think they're, they're in the conference finals, right? That, that type of tier, but I just don't know if they've got the guys it, with with all due respect to just one of the great all time trios. See, I I tend to think about this in, in a similar way for the Lakers. When you have LeBron and AD is your one two, then those guys don't have to do as much as they did last year. So all of a sudden, Pascal and, and Jordan Poole and whichever vet you know if, what they're going to bring in on an exception, Wiggins, like then those guys can just filter around and do the role stuff around Steph, Clay, and Draymond. But they don't have two superstars. They don't have two guys. They've got one. I mean, I so Clay is a is about as superstar as you can get in a for a like elite role player. Um, it, it, like he's a he is a such a unique player where he gives you so much defensively and he has the the gravity of of any other player but Steph Curry. So mm-hmm. Draymond, I do I do worry a little bit about some of the 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 attrition over the years, but like I. I have them below, like, I don't think they're on the Lakers or even the Clippers level, maybe not the Nuggets yet, but I think they, they're in that mix. Hmm. I, I like them more than I like the Jazz, the Blazers, and the Rockets. So that's why that's where I have sure. them at that top end of that. I have them right now in, in the five spot. So I, I, I don't know if that's splitting the difference between the two of you, um, or if Darius, if you, if you like them just as much as the Nuggets or Mavs, for example. Uh, but that's, to me, like, they're, they're somewhere in the middle until we see more, until we know what the roster is. I like them as much or or more than the Mavs. Yeah, me too. Me you too. Know, they're, they're clearly they're ahead of the Nuggets for me. Yeah, like I, they are probably. So you guys got them like as the as the three basically. Yeah. So mm-hmm. earlier when I said mm-hmm. I envisioned the Nuggets being like a two or a three seed again, 
Golden State's potential ascension had escaped me at that point. I think the top four teams in the conference are the Lakers, the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Nuggets. And um, the separation between two through four could be as shallow as like a game and a half or two games during the regular season. And the Warriors do have some roster building to do um, still. They have some tools in their toolkit in order to accomplish some of that roster building um, with a giant trade exception. That's like, I think, almost $17 million from the Andre Iguodala trade to Memphis. And they've got the number two pick in the upcoming draft. I think that they're very likely to add another um, defensive wing to supplement Curry and Clay and Draymond for them to be able to play smaller at their goal. And then I also think they're very likely to get another big man who can start and push everyone down a slot that Draymond can then um, replace as a five when they try to reinvent their death lineup. All right. So to sum things up, contenders... Well, first of all, Pete lobbied for this, and, and I approve. Uh, Lakers super can be in the, Lakers can be in their own contender. class. Favorite, yeah, favorite. Um, Lakers contenders: Clippers, Nuggets, Warriors, Mavericks. Uh, we could, you know, probably go back and forth about that order. Benefit of the doubt for the playoffs: Jazz, Blazers, Rockets. Just behind that tier: Pelicans, Grizzlies, Suns, and then outside looking in: Spurs, Kings, Wolves, Thunder. Uh, this is a list that, again, will change in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. It will change again uh, once we start to read and know and talk to people and, and figure stuff out about the preseason. But for now, um, I, hopefully this is a good snapshot uh, for you guys as to what the rest of the West looks like and how the uh, Lakers fit into that context. We'll do a future pod on kind of the, the top contenders and how they match up with the Lakers. I think our roster other teams are going to have to make some moves to get us to that point. But this was a lot of fun. Mike, you, Mike, thank you for running the show on this one and, and making it flow as it did. Uh, we'll be back again every Wednesday. We're going to be having these general NBA pods through a Lakers lens. Uh, we'll be back on Friday with another episode. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen! Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Got popping out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That is 
insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.